Marie, welcome to First Up. It's Ramadi, Friday, the 19th of August, Cornet Trubridge Ho. Coming up, it's Friday, so we touch down in the USA and Africa, as well as the fresh produce markets with the Minister of Fruit and Veggies. Why the country's last four remaining Māori boarding schools are getting a $15 million upgrade, we'll look at that. And why parts of the country are getting hammered with deluges, flooding and slips, we speak to stranded locals. And look at how the weather is shaping up for the weekend with Philip Duncan of Weatherwatch. Everything is full, every pond, every puddle, every gumboot and every river I think is full. And like I say, we're just, we're just waiting now to see how much more comes and, and then hopefully it eases off after that and we can start the clean up. Morena, I'm Nick Trubridge and for Nathan Lardity on your Friday. It's Friday, Friday. Woo! I'm going to have uh, ham and cheese croissants after the show. Can't wait. But before all that, we've got a few things to get through. And we're going to start in the US. Uh, we're more than uh, a year and a half, rather, after losing the 2020 election. Former President Donald Trump and his uh, supporters, his followers, call them what you like, are still leading the news two years later. Joining me from New York is our correspondent, Bevan Hurley. Morena, Bevan. Morena, Nick. Great to be with you. You as well. Uh, let's start with Trump, of course. Uh, in the last few hours, one of his longtime lieutenants, Alan Weiselberg, Weiselberg rather, has pleaded guilty to fraud, hasn't he? Fill us in. Yeah, that's right. As you say, Trump just continues to suck uh, all of the news oxygen up over here, Nick. Um, so the former chief financial officer of the Trump organization, Mr. Weiselberg, pleaded guilty this morning to his role in a 15-year-long tax fraud scheme. And he's made a deal with prosecutors that could make him a star witness against the company at a trial scheduled for October this year. Weiselberg pleaded guilty to 15 felonies and admitted he failed to pay taxes on $1.7 million in income, including perks such as a rented Manhattan apartment, Mercedes-Benz car leases and private school tuition for his grandchildren. He admitted deliberately concealing those benefits in order to underreport his income. And as part of the deal, he will serve a five-month sentence in New York City's notorious Rikers Island jail, uh, pay nearly $2 million in back taxes and waive any right to appeal. And he'll be formally sent after the completion of that Trump organisation trial, which we believe will happen in October. So what are the pundits saying this might mean for Trump himself? Well, Weiselberg has been a fiercely loyal uh, Trump employee. He's worked uh, closely with Donald Trump since 1973, but his testimony could damage the company if it, if it does indeed go to trial as planned. Yet even by providing testimony against the company, uh, Weiselberg is not going to be able to implicate any Trump family members because they're not actually accused of any wrongdoing. Um, if the Trump organisation is actually convicted, the worst that they will face is penalties and back taxes and fines, but no one's going to go to prison. Mm. And it's kind of one thing after another, isn't it? Because, of course, uh, we were talking about Mar-a-Lago last week and the week before. There's a hearing today on that. What will that look at? What will it try and determine? Yeah, Nick, that hearing has just got underway moments ago. And so the judge uh, that authorised the warrant for the FBI search at Mar-a-Lago um, is being asked or 
to determine whether to unseal an affidavit or a sworn witness statement that contains details of how um, agents found probable cause that crimes had been committed. The Justice Department is warning that disclosing the affidavit at this stage would likely chill uh, future cooperation from witnesses. Uh, we know that someone from Trump's inner circle has been quietly providing information to the feds. Um, and the Bureau also wrote in its um, filing to the court that the probe's focus on highly classified materials such as those nuclear documents um, could exacerbate the harm if those details were to be disclosed to the public prematurely. Um, there's also real concern um, that this whole sort of uh, increasing uh, violent rhetoric that we're seeing towards FBI agents could be stoked um, by the further release of individual agents' names on, on, on paperwork. Um, and Trump has also said that he is going to release security camera footage of the Mar-a-Lago search. And it's all just um, really ramping up to quite a, a scary sort of atmosphere over here at the moment. Mm, footage that have, that could, of course, well, you could you could identify people. Who knows how people could use it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Liz Cheney, a former Trump loyalist, of course, she's lost her primary in Wyoming, but she appears to be laying the groundwork for an election bid nonetheless come 24. That's right. Um, Liz Cheney knew she was going to lose this House race. Uh, that's because Wyoming voters deserted her over her opposition to Trump. But she didn't shy away from the fight, and she is clearly positioning herself for bigger battles ahead. Um, in a defiant concession speech, she invoked former presidents and Civil War heroes Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses Grant to highlight the fact that she was not going anywhere uh, in terms of that, that battle with Trump. She's already began building an apparatus to support those future moves and could realistically be a formidable, a formidable opponent should the political winds begin to shift before 2024. Um, Ms. Cheney has really emerged as a remarkable figure in the US political scene. Um, she was the number three House Republican until being stripped of that leadership position in May last Last year for refusing to stop talking about January 6 and Trump's efforts to overturn the election. And her contribution, of course, as Deputy Chair of the January 6 House Committee has been enormous. And for all those efforts, she's been mercilessly attacked by MAGA figures. And her defeat was in many ways the crown jewel of Trump's campaign of vengeance against Republicans who um, turned on and, and voted to impeach him, Nick. Thanks, Bevan. Bevan Hurley joining us there from New York this morning. It's 10 minutes past five. You're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nick Truebridge. We're keen for your feedback. Uh, well, yeah, what are your plans for this wet weekend? Indoor activities, Scrabble, Netflix, keep them PG, please. Nothing, uh, nothing, nothing untoward, please. Are you in one of those flood-affected areas as well? Uh, we've asked about that for the last three days, but that's because the rain has been absolutely relentless for the last three days. You can text us. 2101. You can tweet us at firstuprnz or email firstup at rnz.co.nz. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at firstuprnz. Well, as wild weather sweeps New Zealand, residents affected by Australia's biggest flood in modern history are learning what could be done better next time. When Lismore was flooded earlier this year, everyday heroes came to the rescue, as they often do. We see that here. But, in, but the New South Wales flood inquiry has found these heroes and their mates need to be trained to help again next time. The report recommends a community-first responders program, including funding equipment for emergencies and training by appropriate government agencies, the ABC's Catherine Gregory reports. 
They're known as the Tinny Flotilla, the group of Lismore locals who navigated floodwaters to rescue people stranded in their homes. 15-year-old Lockie Conlon is one of them. He and his cousin Henry Allen took off in their boat early on that fateful morning. Yeah, and then we woke up and to his sister coming into his room, showing us all the photos on Facebook and how they were asking for people to get down there with boats. So we hooked ours on and just went down. He reckons they rescued about 40 people. Some of them were on their roofs, but in the shallower parts, there were people still in their houses. And my cousin had to walk through it while I held the boat and go in and find them because you could hear them asking for help. Most of them were crying. And... Lockie Conlon says while he wasn't scared at the time, some of the rescues were pretty challenging. The hardest part was getting them from the water into the boat, like especially the elderly, because some of them had to swim out of their homes and then try climbing. Aidan Ricketts is another Lismore local who rescued about 22 people. Luckily, he did so with a long-held boat licence and a fair bit of experience on the water. Still, for him, the main challenge was the dirty water. In, in terms of visibility, you cannot see anything under the water at all. There's, so consequently, you know, your big hazard is hitting things. So whether that's submerged vehicles, carports, even in the case of this flood, submerged power lines. I mean, normally try to use the streets as your navigation ways. So the next set of hazards is things like, you know, giveaway signs in the middle of roads. And... One of the key recommendations from the inquiry into the 2022 New South Wales floods was to train up people who live in flood-prone areas to do these sorts of rescues. The report says there should be a community first responders program, which includes funding equipment for the community and training by appropriate government agencies. Aidan Ricketts mostly supports the idea. Look, the community's got an advantage over the government when it comes to immediate disaster rescue, partly because it has greater granularity, it has greater local knowledge. But look, the other thing I really point to is, you know, the safety paralysis that the government agencies tend to have in a disaster. And the thing about your community rescuers is, you know, we look at it very differently. Look, it's a life-threatening situation and we're out there reducing the risk by saving people. It's like, yes, of course, you're being as safe as you can be, but you're not hamstrung by a kind of a bureaucratic safety paralysis. You know, I, th I think that's a really important thing to recognise about why the community can be more effective. Greg Mullins is with the Emergency Leaders for Climate Action and is the former Commissioner for Fire and Rescue New South Wales. He also supports the recommendation. The experience here and overseas is that on the worst days of fires, floods, cyclones, there may not be any emergency responders. So the community does need to know what to do. We saw that in Lismore. Are there any concerns, though, that it might cause further problems? You know, people might end up hurting themselves. We send heavy rescue teams overseas to help after earthquakes and part of their training is leveraging what they call spontaneous volunteers because they do most of the rescues. So if the focus is on giving them enough knowledge to keep themselves safe, um, they're going to help out anyway, no matter what government does. So it's great to have a program where the emergency services give them that basic knowledge so that they won't become victims themselves. And again, with climate change, we're going to see more and more of these disasters, so people need to be prepared. Greg Mullins says now more than ever, this training is needed, given less people are volunteering for services like the SES.
and he adds that flood rescue systems could learn a bit from bushfire preparedness. Look, there's a proven program in bushfires already where people in urban areas are trained up. They have basic equipment. They're not firefighters, but they wet down before the fire arrives. They prepare the homes for impact, cleaning gutters, etc., flammable material. It's very, very successful. Dr Barbara Ryan is from the University of Southern Queensland and specialises in disaster communication. She thinks community members could have another role beyond frontline rescues. So for me, the standout from from the whole process was that the localised nature of communication and community engagement has been lost to some extent and there is scope to have volunteers from the community skilled in those areas that you know, have local knowledge and if they're given specialised training in communication and community engagement according to what the SES needs and the inquiry has shown is required, could be really valuable in that sort of situation. Dr Barbara Ryan from the University of Southern Queensland ending that report from the ABC's Catherine Gregory. To Africa now where Kenya finally has a result in their presidential election. Uh, For more on that and other stories making headlines, I'm joined from Ghana by our correspondent Nabil Ahmed. Morena Nabil. Hello Nick. How are you? How are you? Very well, very well. Let's start. Thank you. Let's start in Kenya. Uh, William Ruto has defied the odds for victory, but it's a very slim one and it hasn't been without controversy. Fill us in on that. Indeed, Nick. Uh, Now, Kenya's Deputy Prime Minister, uh, William Ruto, defied the odds by winning the fiercely contested uh, presidential election in East Africa. Now, his victory, as you said, was very controversial because four out of seven members of the Electoral Commission rejected the results amid claims of rigging. Now, uh, there were a lot of chaos scenes inside the main Tallinn uh, centre when the result was being collated. And a couple actually broke around uh, the podium as the head of the commission uh, was seemingly about to announce the result. But, of course, uh, when they came out to declare the result, they said Mr. Ruto had won with 50.5% of the vote compared to his closest content, uh, contender, uh, Raila Odinga, who had 48.8%. So you can see it was quite a close call between these two front runners. And of course, um, African elections usually come with these claims of rigging and all that. But here we go, we have a winner after all. Yeah, a winner at long last. Hey, Nabil, I see Dubai's Emirates airline has suspended flights to Nigeria. Why? Well, this is basically because they claim that Nigeria um, is refusing to give them foreign exchange. Now, the Dubai-based Emirates airline said it will suspend its flight to Nigeria from the start of September uh, as it has been unable to repatriate its money from uh, the West African country, Nigeria. Now, it's because of restricted access to foreign exchange, as I said earlier. Well, the government has not responded or reacted to this particular claim by the Uh, mean Dubai airline Emirates and well Emirates is saying that once they've stopped the flights from 1st September uh, all passengers who had already booked their tickets they'll refund it to them. We wait to see how this will pan out but then in June uh, the International Airline and Transportation Association said that Nigeria was not handing over 450 million dollars owed to various airlines and this has become a quite a big problem um, in the country. Nick. 
Yeah, moving from Nigeria to Guinea, uh, there have been protests there, haven't there? What's behind these? Well, uh, basically, um, the clashes broke out uh, because um, people in Guinea want the military junta who claimed power last September uh, to (laughs) step down. And there's been a lot of issues with him being the president. And he has actually said he would uh, um, hand over power to a civilian government in the next three years. And a lot of people in Guinea are not happy about the way things are being run in the country. And they've been protesting, although... Uh, the military junta has banned any forms of demonstration or protest in the country. Now, during this recent um, protest, uh, when clashes broke out, one person died. Uh, we also heard another person was also severely injured. But the police in the country has actually denied all this and has yet to release a statement over what really happened when the clashes broke out. Now, to the Football World Cup, the FIFA World Cup, I should say. I'm pretty excited. I'm sure you are too. Uh, the new stadium <laughs> yes, in exactly. the, the new stadium in Qatar looks pretty impressive. Indeed, it is. And it's actually one um the venue which is Lucelle Stadium uh, for the FIFA World Cup has won a sustainability assessment uh, I mean award, uh, which is quite <laughs> impressive because the eighty thousand capacity venue boasts of a number of sustainability features. And it includes a state-of-the-art roof and water efficiency system. And the stadium design is also inspired by the uh, interplay of light and shadow based on the uh, Fanar lantern, which illustrates the golden age of art and craftsmanship in the Arab and Islamic world. So with all these coming together, indeed, it is not surprising that um, that main stadium that will be used for the FIFA World Cup has achieved this feat, uh, Nick. Hey, Nabil, very, very quickly, how's Ghana going to go at the World Cup? Uh, well, <laughs> it's become quite interesting at the moment because we have uh, one of our footballers who actually has not been playing for a while, Astamwajan. I know you know about Astamwajan. Yeah. Uh, he is trying to take a comeback. We don't know if the uh, Ghana Football Association will call him to be part of the squad mm. this time around. But it's going to be quite a revenge between Ghana and Uruguay. Of because course. of what happened the last time when Suarez <laughs> uh, uh, actually denied us of a chance to proceed to the stage of the competition. So we yeah. just wait to see the squad that will be, uh, I mean, selected for this particular FIFA World Cup, Nick. Hey, well, we wish you all the best. Thanks, Nabil. Nabil Ahmed there joining us from Ghana. It's 22 minutes past five. I'm Nick Trubridge and you're with First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, heavy rain continues to hammer down, causing evacuations, flooding and road closures in parts of the country. We'll hear from stranded locals and speak with Weather Watch's Philip Duncan about what today has in store. And the Minister of Fruit and Veggies joins us with the latest from the world of fresh produce. There they are standing in the air. Up early as always, because that's when the produce is freshest, is our Minister of Fruit and Veggies, Glenn Forsyth. Morena, Glenn, it is when the produce is freshest, right? It all all happens in the morning, yep, they still get up at three o'clock on the... Mondays and Thursdays, busy market days. Yep. 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 And take take it to the market. Have a have a nice juicy apple first thing in the morning, or whatever you whatever you fancy. Hey, yes. we'll, we'll die in awareness week. Uh, we usually think of meat, don't we? But talk us through veggies that uh, can boost our iron levels. 
Yeah, well, something I hadn't heard of until Vegetables New Zealand wrote on it this month, but it is World Iron Awareness Week next week. They go on to say iron deficiency is one of the most common deficiencies around the globe. One in 14 adult women are reported to have low iron levels and a staggering 8 out of 10 toddlers don't meet the recommended intake. I mean, you have heme iron found in meat, chicken and fish and easily absorbed by the body and then non-heme iron found in plant foods like vegetables, cereals, beans and lentils and it is not as readily absorbed by the body. However, eating vegetables that have um, high vitamin C helps the body absorb that iron as much as 85%. So most vegetables contain vitamin C, but levels vary. Vitamin C helps with tissue repair, as we know, supports a very strong immune system to fight infection and helps health in general. So Vegetables New Zealand hint at another great reason on why to eat a rainbow of colours. And in some of the many popular vegetables, which are a good source of vitamin C, you can pick a lot here that you'll probably like, include beans, broccoli, cabbage, capsicums, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, of course, courgettes, primra, spuds, pumpkin, and tomatoes. The veggie that wants to be a fruit. I thought rhubarb was a fruit, to be honest. Yes. Uh, You know, it's back, isn't it? It's rhubarb season. It's good in a crumble. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's back. The the news was mostly good on vegetables at the main market day. Yesterday, we have good supplies of greens such as broccoli, cauliflower, leeks and celery. And this is impressive for this time of the year. It's hard to believe the humble cabbage is still the shortest green down here. Delicate leafy greens, however, remain in poor quality and supply, also affecting a range of salad bags too. There are great volumes of white butter mushrooms, three kilo bags of brushed potatoes. Look out for those. Now, brushed potatoes, they do require a quick rinse and scrub. And rhubarb, as you've said, they've come back in supply as well. Lots of kumara and pumpkin and USA garlic here now, which is filling down New Zealand shortage nicely. Now, when blind garlic, go for bulbs which may surprise you by their weight. Heaviness indicates plump, juicy cloves at their peak. Beware of bulbs which are sprouting or showing a greyish black blemish which probably betrays mould. Blend a large amount of garlic, ginger and lots of onion um, as well in a food processor. Mix with oil and freeze those in ice cube trays and use it, use it well for cooking. So yeah, very handy. Mangoes are back in store but they're not from here, are they? Tell us where they're from. Yes. Yeah, fruit, lots to chat about on fruit also. We'll whip through it. Queen apples are in heavy supply. Plenty of oranges and lemons. But New Zealand Satsuma mandarins have finished, being replaced by Australian Afora mandis. Avocados, loose bananas, green kiwi fruit, they're already available and fresh date to back. Australian melons and strawberries picking up in volume. And a small handful of Mexican Kent mangoes are here. These are mainly a green skin variety and they eat when they give to gentle pressure. So do try one or two of those. Now, fruit of the week, Nick. No, 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 You get me on this every time I'm filling in, but I, I'm I'm too quick. Yes. Glenn, drum roll, please. Fruit of the week. <laughs> okay, we're going with new season, USA seedless grapes. Oh, USA seedless grapes. Tell us about those. How do you have them? How do you prepare them? What do you have? Them? Do you have them on top of a, oh, I was going to say grapes on pavlova, but that's a bit weird. How do you have them? Yeah, we've done that, cut them in half, but um, there has been recent published studies suggesting grape consumption may have a positive impact on health and lifespan, and you can find those on healthline.com. I was reading about it all this week, and they're certainly an impressive fruit, no doubt about that. But we chose early season USA grapes today as their quality and taste is magnificent. The boat arrived yesterday, and fruit will filter into stores over the weekend. Prices are firm for the first lot, but you won't be disappointed. And a little secret, Nick, the next shipment for us hasn't left the port of Oakland yet, so buy it next week and hoard in the yep. fridge because uh, there will be a gap in supply again. Lovely, as always, Glenn. See you next week. Have a great weekend.
Now from the business team is Anan Zaki. Morena, Anan, how are you? Morena, happy Friday. Yeah, great to be fr- at Friday, isn't it? Uh, w- big weekend plans? Oh, look, certainly uh, nothing will top your ham croissant plans, I don't oh, think. Oh, yeah, 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 you caught that, you caught that. <laughs> hey, um, to, to, to what we're actually here to talk about, uh, staying, well, well, being proactive, I should say, with uh, your online security. That's the advice to Kiwis. Why? Yeah, so this has uh, come from the government's Computer Emergency Response Team, uh, or CERT as they're known. Uh, So obviously we're in a digital world, Uh, you know, it's here, we're not waiting for anything, it's here now, it's part of our lives. Now uh, CERT is saying that New Zealanders, now we've picked up good passive behaviours like avoiding weird links and emails and deleting spam texts, but... It's the proactive steps that need to improve, so around things like privacy. Now, they're saying this because uh, cybersecurity incidents are increasing uh, rapidly. For example, since 2019, uh, CERT says uh, New Zealanders' online shopping transactions has doubled. And with that, the number of incidents reported to CERT has also doubled. Uh, And they've done some research uh, and they've found that uh, nearly two-thirds of people have personally experienced a cyber threat and despite this uh, cyber threats only rank ninth in areas of concern and uh, about just under three quarters of New Zealanders feel confident uh, in their level of cyber security so most people feeling pretty good. Now it doesn't mean that people don't care about cyber security it's an awareness thing Um, they're saying that research shows some people see cyber security as just too complicated and others just aren't aware of how serious the risks are. Now with only one in five people uh, sort of concerned about general general cyber security, it jumps to four in five when you ask about security of personal information. Uh, And the research found that nearly three quarters of people wouldn't share personal information with strangers online. But, uh, you know, around half or just under half uh, has social media accounts, um, you know, which are quite public, leaving, you know, with a lot of information um, on social media available online. So Mm. just saying, be aware of privacy. Yeah, so something a little bit lighter. Well, I I guess depending on how you look at it, uh, I saw a picture on my Facebook yesterday. It was a couple of gentlemen uh, heartily quaffing what looked to be glasses of, I don't know, Orion, Asahi, something like that. And that's because Japan is urging its youth to drink more to boost the economy. Yeah, I'm not sure if I've heard any government messaging saying drink more, but uh, yeah. here we are. Uh, in Japan, it turns out the younger generation uh, drinks less than their parents. And a move that has hit taxes from drink sales um, like sake, uh, rice wine. So... <laughs> Uh, Japan's national uh, tax agency stepped in with a national competition to come up with ideas to reverse the trend. Uh, it's called Sake Viva, and the plan oh is to make God. drinking more attractive and boost the industry. Um, 
Yeah, M- mixed reaction. Japanese media say, you know, some <laughs> criticism about uh, the bid to promote an unhealthy habit, but others are jumping in with ideas with Japanese celebrities even joining in. So, look, it's uh, certainly an odd one, certainly a first, uh, I think. <laughs> You're not sure we'd see it here, and probably a good thing. Hey, thanks, Anan. Uh, you can hear more from the business team on Morning Report at 10 to 7. And quickly around the Friday markets, your New Zealand dollar is worth 62.65 US cents, 90.45 Australian cents, 61.95 Euro cents, 52.3 British pence, 4.24 yuan, 84.76 Japanese yen. And where are we going today? Mozambique, 40.12 Mozambican Metical, I believe that is. Hopefully I've got that right. Anyway. The government has allocated almost $15 million towards upgrading the country's last four remaining Māori boarding schools. The Māori Development Minister Willie Jackson announced the final allocation of the $20 million investment into the schools from last year's budget. And as Ashley McCall reports, the upgrades are well overdue. Hatsopaura College is a Māori boys boarding school near Fielding with a role of about 100 students. It's got almost $3 million from the funding pool. To Milwaukee, Nathan Matthews is grateful, saying it will help refurbish and rebuild the hostel and is long overdue. This is our 75th anniversary year jubilee and, and the buildings sort of show that we've reached that age. So I think very necessary for our hostel that there needs to be some investment to raise the standard so that our, our students, our tauwira, have a better experience and, and a better environment to live in. The school's role has also dropped over time, which Mr Matthews thinks comes down to the lack of resources for all four Māori boarding schools. You also look since the year 2000, the closing of St Stephen's, the closing of Queen Victoria, the closing of Turekina and Hatopetra. So you would say the whole sector has suffered from, I would say, it was a lack of resourcing and support. So this is a great step towards remedying that. St Joseph's Māori Girls College is getting just over $6 million. Trust board member Rake Poho Taya Ora says an earthquake report done in 2017 shows the school is in need of some serious repair. It identified, firstly, the chapel needed to be basically closed, and that's been closed ever since, and also um, part of the accommodation area, as well as some of the infrastructure. So the infrastructure is still quite old, and the new buildings would have come around certainly at least 70 years ago. He says the current repair bill is estimated at $25 million and climbing. So far, the school has just under $9 million. Three of the four boarding schools are in Ikaroa Rafati MP Mika Whaiteri's electorate. She says it's time they had a massive upgrade. Very, very dated facilities, very cold facilities. Probably at the sort of uh, have to repair end of the state of these colleges, particularly in the hostel areas, this announcement will go some ways to help our contribution as a government to making these facilities um, a more modern accommodation. So was the current funding enough? Back in 2020 when we campaigned on this, we declared it in our manifesto that we would commit this amount to helping these boarding schools and that's what today's announcement is. Is it enough? Um, Some will definitely argue it's not, but it's a start. A start. These four boarding schools hope we'll see more government funding come their way.
Clay Wilson from our sports department has joined me in the studio very early. Morning, Clay. Morena. How are you going? <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, look, let's start with, with the Black Ferns versus Aussie. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation around this Black Ferns team of, of late, but they've got their first test against, uh, well, some very tough opponents on Saturday. Yeah, and these are two very important tests because they're the only two tests left for the Black Ferns before the World mm. Cup starts. Seven weeks tomorrow before they play that World Cup opener against Australia. Um, so these tests are really important. And listening to Coach Wayne Smith talk yesterday about the balance between still trying to see a few players but also wanting to get his first 15 or first 23 out there and, and give them a, a run uh, in a couple of games. So we have seen a team named that looks like it's much closer to, mm. to what might run out in that first uh, first World Cup game. Where do they stack up against Oz at the moment? Like are the Black Ferns, you know, in, in years gone by, they've, they've sort of been number one maybe with England, but uh, compared to the Aussies, how would you expect us to go, put it that way? Well, they did play Australia in June. In early June, um, we had the Pacific Four series here. Um, Canada, the US and Aussie came out. And the Black Ferns won all three of those games. I think 23-10, a 13-point win in, in the Australian game. And they have traditionally been had the edge on Australia. The teams now are the ones to watch uh, are the likes of England and France. And they're the teams that the Black Ferns lost twice to each mm. on that now semi-infamous tour of, of um, yeah. Europe last year, but have been really promising signs. And listening to Co- uh, listening to Wayne Smith yesterday, it sounds like he's really relishing his, his time in, yeah. in this job and, and the players are feeding off that and they're really enjoying him. And, and a, a team that seems in a happier place and performing potentially better and chances of uh, at the World Cup looking a bit better. And he's got a rep as a, as a, well, a bit of a master really, Wayne Smith, doesn't he? So, potentially the right man for the job. Uh, let's go to the boxing. Uh, Anthony Anthony Joshua and uh, Usyk. Alexander Usyk. Alexander Usyk rematch this week. There's a bit of drama at the weigh-in. Yeah, well, of course, Alexander Usyk is Ukrainian. Yeah. Um, and has, has sort of come up through the ranks um, as, as a Ukrainian, which wasn't really much of a, a thing until, obviously, the, the, the recent uh, issues on in that part of the world. So... Um, we saw yesterday he came in kind of a traditional dress to to the weigh-in, and then after the weigh-in and all the um, the drama that comes with that, he proceeded to to do what I'm led to believe is something of a Ukrainian um, defence mm, song, or yeah. you might have better better um, terminology for yeah, it, but yeah. something of that of that nature. He, he's obviously very proud, and there were stories that coming out that obviously the Klitschkos are. Um, of course, are, are famously um, big parts of Ukraine still now, and, and I think one of them is the mayor of Kiev. Yeah, correct. Um, and they were all joining these um, defence um, teams that the mm. Ukrainians were putting together, sort of civilian defence teams. And Usyk was was part of that until he he finally got pulled out of there, and he's been preparing for this um, this rematch. Very very briefly, we both got it wrong with the All Blacks the other day. They won, and we said they'd lose very slightly. But we neither, neither of us are rugby buffs, so we've got that defence. Yes. But they're locked in now, aren't they? In yes. terms of the coach, in terms of well, going forward. Well, it, it is locked in. What's going to be interesting to see is is now, hopefully for New Zealand rugby's sake and, and Ian Foster's sake, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, it's not just a one-off because um, you know then things things might we might find ourselves back in the same situation. But at least now they have clarity. I think it's going to be nice for Ian Foster. It's going to be good for the players. So potentially that might uh, have mm. an effect in seeing them these tests coming up against Australia and Argentina. Hopefully we see that um, what happened at Ellis Park continue. Thanks, Clay. More on sport in Morning Report.
Uh, it's 18 to 6. I'm Nick Truebridge, and you're with First Up on RNZ National. Still to come, an, an atmospheric river, we've heard that this week already, has burst across the country. We hear from the regions worst affected by the weather. We'll talk to Northland residents who have been entirely cut off by the rising floodwaters. And Weather Watch's Philip Duncan joins us to th- uh, with what today has in store. <laughs> Professionals of Morning Report are up after six and for a quick preview of our flagship news programme is Corin Dan. Morena, Corin. Oh, Morena, I don't know where to... Well, I'm looking at my rundown this morning, boy, it's just so much weather right across the country and we're going to have yeah. to be across all of it. Obviously, Nelson has been absolutely hammered, so we will be there getting the... the uh, well, it's not clean-up yet because they're still in the thick of this and there's more to come, we know, in a couple of days. Uh, Northland, obviously, in the eye of the storm at the moment. Westport, too. Taranaki, we've got reporters and uh, we'll talk to a lot of mayors from all those areas. Kieran McAnulty, too, the Civil Defence Minister for the response to that. Uh, we also have some politics in the mix as well. Gaurav Sharma, new explosive allegations claiming uh, a cover-up and uh, he is uh, on the programme. We have spoken to him. We will also have political analysis uh, of that. Uh, so that's in the mix as well. And that's probably about it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, well, plenty plenty there, plenty there. Hey, thanks, Corin. Morning report up in about uh, 14 minutes. Uh, the Environment Minister, David Parker, has opened the Ohakia Rural Water Scheme, ending years of uncertainty for local residents. In 2017, households near the Manawatu town of Sanson were told their water supply was contaminated by PFAS, toxic, frightening... Let's try that again. Toxic firefighting foam used on the nearby Ohakia Air Force Base. Manawatu reporter Jimmy Ellingham has more. Nati Parawahawaha leads the ceremony to bless Sanson's new water treatment plant. The plant means about 90 properties next to the Air Force Base no longer need to rely on drinking water trucked in. Relieved residents turned out for the ceremony. The PFAS remains in the aquifer and will continue for, it's intergenerational and it will continue to spread as well. The water scheme takes that away from people's health, from uh, land health and and the animals health, so it's great. That's Andy Russell, a long time farmer next to Ohakia. Fellow local Jim Malone is also pleased. Quite happy the way it's worked out, yeah. Yeah, yeah we've got um, good water now, we've got to pay for it, but still, you know, at the end of the day, it's a good solution. Yeah. That cost will be about $350 a year per connection. The government put up $10.88 million for the scheme, and the Manawatu District Council has a contingency fund of about $2 million, about half of which is needed. A hefty price to pay, perhaps. But Environment Minister David Parker says it's better for everyone than a possible class action that was at one stage mooted. When the sharks started circling from the Australia trying to get up a class action, I came to the view that that wasn't in the interests of anyone actually. I didn't think there would be a legal remedy that would be likely to be obtained at the end of it for a couple of reasons. Those are that PFAS chemicals in the firefighting foam were legal when they were used and that New Zealand has ACC to cover personal injuries that may result. David Parker acknowledges the stress locals felt at learning of the contamination and concerns about the effects on their property prices. I thank the maturity shown by the local people who were so adversely affected by this because I think most of the locals saw that too and realised that if they 
caused a, a malaise around these issues that would actually probably make some of the problems that they were worried about, like the drop in land values and house values, worse. Early on, there was concern about how long the Defence Force and other officials knew of possible contamination before it was made public, and David Parker says some things could have been handled better. It was expected the new water supply would be ready by Christmas 2021, but COVID restrictions and supply chain headaches caused delays. However, Manawatu District Council Infrastructure General Manager Hamish Waugh says the work is still within budget. The total project came in at about $11.9 million, so essentially used all of the project budget and about half of the contingency, which for a project of this size and scale, given the risks involved and the COVID factor, uh, we're very happy with that. The new water bore is 650 metres below the ground and in the future could provide more than six times the 1,500 cubic metres now drawn from it. Entire Northland towns remain entirely cut off due to the rain that's been pelting down for the last 48 hours or so. Schools were closed yesterday to allow children to get home before being blocked by flooding, with some Northlanders finding themselves trapped by the rising water. Northland now appears to be the epicentre of the so-called atmospheric river that had forced hundreds of homes to be evacuated in the northern South Island. Matthew Tunison reports. Kaitaia Business Association Chairperson Andrea Panther says the rain didn't let up all yesterday and more is forecast today. Because we've got rivers that run all around our town, um, our poor fire brigade, the alarms have been, sirens have been going regularly. But when we get cut off, that's awful, so we can't get out of here. Um, an hour south of here, doesn't matter whether you go the west coast or the east coast way, the, the roads are flooded and closed, so we actually can't leave the area. Schools have all closed because of all the flooding and so that has a big roll-on effect because people travel into Kaitaia to work, they've got to get home. She says people have been frantically posting on social media trying to find out if there's any way for them to get around the floodwaters and to where they need to be. And we've also heard of people that need to get out of here to catch flights and things. I don't think there'd be any flights going from um, Kirikiri or Kaitaia but to get overseas, etc., to get to Auckland. So people are getting a bit nervous about having to get out of here. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a mess. <laughs> as well as the likes of delivery trucks being turned around, some Northlanders could be missing out on important medical treatment as specialist doctors are unable to get to the area. An hour east of Kaitaia, in the small town of Kaio, local man Raniera Kaio says there's water everywhere. There is not a heck of a lot of um, visible farmland around the entire region, especially at sea level or just above. The main street of Kaio is probably a 700 metre to a one kilometre long stretch of road. Your community hall, your town hall, your church hall, a four square takeaways, all flooded. He says residents have been stocking up on essentials. Or those of us in the region, especially around the wider Whangaro region, when we know the rain is going to be this bad, we sort of make supply runs early on. The Force Square was and the BP and Kyle were very, very busy. I sort of had to do a mad dash into my office at work as well as a... Uh, filling up the gas bottles and such like, just in case this does go on a bit longer. Liz Jackson lives on a farm on the outskirts of Kyle and owns a second-hand store in town. We can't go to town or anything like that. We're stuck here. The road is the road. The access road to town is cut off. Oh, the shop. Uh, we don't, we don't know. We can't get there. <laughs> so uh, 
So it's 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 just um, one of those things. Uh, yeah, we can't get to town to have a look, so, so we we kind of cross fingers when that happens. Meanwhile, in the Upper South Island, more than 300 homes in the Nelson Tasman district have been evacuated. Takaka dairy farmer Wayne Langford says after what appeared to be a brief respite yesterday, the rain started falling again. Golden Bay has, um, you know, has a pretty good river system that's used to handling, you know, large rain events. Uh, however, this is obviously a step above that. Uh, everything is full. Every pond, every puddle, every gumboot, and every river, I think, is full. And uh, and like I say, we're just we're just waiting now to see how much more comes, and and then hopefully it eases off after that, and and we can start start the cleanup. All eyes will be looking upwards this morning, hoping for the sun to break through. You know, we can handle rain, that's, that's all right, but it's just uh, when it comes in large volumes, uh, and I'm meaning on a per hourly rate, uh, as long as it doesn't do that too much, uh, then, then we can handle it, it'll be OK. The government announced yesterday it's injected $200,000 into the mayoral relief fund for Nelson, Tasman and Marlborough to help those affected. Joining me now is Philip Duncan from Weather Watch. Good morning, Philip. Good morning. How are you? Very well. Let's start with uh, well. Let's start with up north because things have sort of shifted up there, haven't they? How's it looking? Yeah, it's still raining, and there is still more rain uh, coming through over the rest of today. In fact, around Kaio, Kerry, Kerry. There's around about another 30 millimetres or so to come through today. So that's not too problematic, but it is not you know, the best news when you're trying to sort of drain out and dry out up there. The Upper South Island, are they still in the firing line despite things shifting to Northland? Yes, unfortunately. You know, Northland and uh, Takaka, Golden Bay and Nelson actually are all sharing a very similar weather pattern right now. This rain coming straight in from the north. And so uh, the Upper South Island, which is a lot further west than the North Island is, is, is still very exposed. And, and, and unfortunately, um, the rainfall totals that we've now got at Weather Watch and at Rural Weather um, are showing sort of another 80, 90 to 120 millimetres still yet to fall around Takaka, Golden Bay, and maybe the hills around Nelson. So th- there's definitely a a ramp up of rain as we go across Friday, Friday night and Saturday once again. But the good news is it finally does start to ease tomorrow. You remember that thing called the sun? Yes, vaguely. When will that be back? We've been asked that a lot. Um, (laughs) It'll be coming back this weekend, although it may not be perfectly coming back. But this this whole atmospheric river is falling apart uh, overnight tonight. And so tomorrow we get a bit of a westerly change coming in. So it's still not perfect, but there'll be more gaps in the cloud and we'll start to see more sunny weather coming through as we extend through the weekend and into next week when it gets sort of um, more changeable again. For those who weren't with us earlier in the week, let's go back over Atmospheric River very briefly. What is that? So it's almost exactly what it sounds like. It is a river up in the atmosphere, up in the sky. Just think of a valley in the sky full of water. And that's what we're seeing here. It's like the Waikato River or the Klutha River. It's just this atmosphere of water coming straight down. And it's feeding into the Upper South Island and it's feeding into Northland. And then there are other areas getting it as well. But those are the areas directly in the in the line for that today. And it's just mostly caused by a huge area of high pressure. There's no storm. It's not a low or a cyclone. It's a big high, an anticyclone. And it's reaching up to the tropics 
pulling down this moisture, and then the next thing it's doing is stopping that moisture from moving through. So it's a double whammy caused by high pressure. There's been a lot of chat recently about how this is another uh, one in 100 year event. We were talking with the Nelson Mayor about this earlier this week. Where does this latest uh, rain event, whatever you want to call it, that's a lame name, we can probably come up with something better, but anyway, sit in a historical context? This is a, I would say this is an exceptional event, and I, I'm someone who actually um, rolls my eyes a wee bit at, at hearing in the news each year that this storm was as bad as Cyclone Bowler. I've heard that every year for the last 15 years, but this storm is a lot like Cyclone Bowler in the sense that it's dropped you know, several hundred millimetres, close to a, a, a metre of rain by the time the event finished. And Cyclone Bowler did a similar thing in Gisborne back in the 80s and East Cape over a three-day period. So there are some similarities between uh, Cyclone Bowler's rain event and this one. This one's definitely one for the record books. Thanks, Philip. Philip Duncan there from Weather Watch. You'll have more on the weather and morning report very soon. Oh yeah, it's the weekend, it's Friday. Before we go, a little bit of feedback very briefly from Kim and Nelson. Just evacuated the family to my house in Nelson when a tree came down onto our house due to slips. Yes, stay safe. Uh, Nice listening to you, home alone in rural Nelson, well cut off from multiple landslips. Thanks for the company. You're welcome. You're most welcome. Hey look, one last word before we go. Everyone's kept uh, kept themselves relatively safe during the week. We haven't heard anything too bad in terms of blowouts, in terms of Corollas or Demios and Rivers. But just in case you haven't been listening, one final warning. Now is not the time to test your e-bike if you're a Nelson or Northland. Stay inside. Don't take your Rally 20 through a fast-flowing torrent. Don't do that. Just stay inside and chill. Play Scrabble. Hey, that's it from us. We'll see you on Monday. His morning report.